Hello everyone, Simon here from snapshooter.com and you're listening to the Pushing to Production podcast. On this podcast, we focus on the purely technical side of running a project, learning about how startups go from code to production. Hello everyone and welcome to another weekly episode of Pushing to Production podcast. This week I am joined by Aaron Francis. How you doing? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. Aaron is the founder of Torchlight and the co-founder, do you say, of Hammerstone? Yeah, that's right. So Torchlight is a like a syntax highlighting API, and it's actually one of Hammerstone's products, but I kind of built that one solo. And then me and a couple of other friends have Hammerstone together, and we're working on some stuff for the Laravel and Rails communities. Okay, so both ecosystems. Yeah. Could you go into a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So the primary thing that we're working on is how on most, let's say, e-commerce websites or let's say something like Mixpanel, and you want to say, show me users that have clicked on this thing in the past week and are in the state of Texas where I am and are on the paid plan. You know how you have those filter things that you want to build? Yes. So what we're building at Hammerstone is a way for developers to build that easily. So it's a way for developers to offer that to their end users. And so we provide for Laravel and Rails and Vue and React and Hotwire. We provide a component that then allows developers to build that for their users. So do you manage the storage of that data to search or are you kind of like a library on top of some other storage system? Yeah, so one of our primary, uh, I guess, objectives is to sit on top of, in the Laravel ecosystem, we sit on top of Eloquent. And then in the Rails ecosystem, we sit on top of Active Record. And so we get the benefit of not having to worry about SQL injection, writing raw SQL, anything like that. We sit on top of the 10 years of Eloquent work. And so what we do then is we provide, we translate the user's intent into the Eloquent query. And we also provide the front end, the user validation. So we, we do errors and that kind of thing. And then we provide a way for the developer to store the filter. If people want to save like Aaron's favorite customers, they can save that filter and come back to it later and pull it up again. Uh, interesting. So you're like a managed library at that level to make. Yeah, exactly. So everyone owns their own data. They would just buy the package, Composer install it, and then start using it. Kind of like Nova. Like you just buy the package and you start using it. Interesting. Interesting. You're giving me flashbacks to I worked on a hotel management system years and years ago and having to build filters for the the search around. (laughs) It's like something that everyone has to do at some point, but doesn't really set your app apart because your customers expect for it to be there. But also, it's really hard to do well. And so it's this quagmire of developer time. And then when you get done with it, it's like, great, that's what I expected to be there. Thanks for building that. (laughs) So it's super (laughs) frustrating. (laughs) Yeah, I remember some sort of Elasticsearch hybrid solution that we came up with. And it was just a real pain to to keep everything in sync. So uh, yes, I like the idea of that. Okay, so um, is that a finished product or is that still... Early stages. Are any products ever finished, Simon? So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it is in the sense that we have 
So on the Rails side, we have a client who we've been building for a year, but it works over there. On the Laravel side, we have two clients who have installed the package and are using it in their apps, and we're onboarding a third one this week. So it is finished in the sense that people are successfully using it. It's not finished in the sense that like we haven't had a, a launch yet, but yeah, we're onboarding people currently. I would presume that you're still sort of gathering feedback and improving things based off those sort of like initial. I mean, the first two clients that used it on the Laravel side were like, this is great. Have you thought about this? And I said, <laughs> no, I haven't. That's a great idea. Let me add that. So it's been super valuable so far. I still get people suggesting stuff after four years that I think, why didn't I think of that? That's so obvious. <laughs> so you know it's never finished, exactly. Cool. So I guess the other part of what you do is Torchlines, which um, I discovered recently via Twitter. It was recommended. I put out a tweet and I think I got about six or seven people will reply saying, <laughs> use Torchlight. It's working. So yeah. Why don't you give an overview of what that actually is before we go into how that works? Yeah. So this was born out of writing documentation for the other Hammerstone products. And I found that all of the syntax highlighters work on the front end. They're not quite as powerful as something you would expect, say, in VS Code, because they have to work in the browser. And so what happened was they would end up missing a bunch of syntax. So I would paste in some PHP 8 code from one of my projects and it would miss half the stuff and you know color it wrong. And I was like, if part of our thesis at Hammerstone is a high attention to quality and then our docs look like crap, that's really frustrating. And so I started looking around for other ways to do syntax highlighting and I found that there's really not a good one to do it in the browser. And so what Torchlight is, is it's a syntax highlighting API And so it hooks into the rendering process in Laravel. There are several libraries for it. Jigsaw has a library, which Jigsaw is a static site generator for Laravel. And what it does is it sends off all the blocks, all your code blocks to a server. I highlight them and send them back. And what that allows me to do is use the full power of the VS Code engine, which is all open source. And so we're able to do like proper PHP 8, PHP 8.1, all that kind of syntax highlighting. We're able to do obscure languages and add extra languages like Alpine JS plus HTML. We're able to add that kind of stuff. And then we're also able to add, we're able to add these inline annotations. And so when you're writing documentation and or blog posts, sometimes you'll have a chunk of code, but you want to highlight specifically two lines that you want to draw your reader's attention to. And some other packages have that, but it's in these like cryptic, obscure things that you have to put at the top of your code block and then you change a line and the reference changes and everything's out of date. What we've done is I've figured out a way to use code comments in the code blocks. So if you're writing a code block, you can add a code comment and control the display of your code. So you can either highlight it, focus it, do git add, git remove, that kind of stuff, all from within the code. So then in your editor, it still looks like actual code, so it doesn't freak out and try to reformat it and break your blog post or your docs. I did not know about that, so... yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think I'm going to explore that. For me, the thing that interested me was the fact that it is all done on backend. So 
But we are rebuilding Snapshooter's marketing site at the moment, and we're going to a static site generator, and we're using Jigsaw. And I'm writing the API docs and some other docs, and to be able to send off stuff at, render, uh, at, at like build time and come back with basically HTML that's then ready to go. No JS library when you load up the blog post and everything sort of moves around and <laughs> jumps around. So. It's the static site generation story for Torchlight is really compelling because then you just ship HTML and that's one less thing you have to worry about. Like if it looks right on your local machine after you build it, you're done. It's going to look the exact same way in production, which is really nice. Yeah, and I was happy that the like the SEO performance in a way or, you know, um Chrome Lighthouse scores were going to be you could actually tune them without having to pull in massive libraries to <laughs> deal with as you say not being able to render um PHP 8.1 because it doesn't like no one's bothered to <laughs> to, <laughs> to write the code for it. How do you deal with that at the on the back end then? You said it was VS code, so Yeah, so I am traditionally a Laravel developer, PHP developer have been for who knows how old I am now, have been for more than a decade. But this is all JavaScript because VS Code is all JavaScript. And so I was pulling all this stuff in and able to get it running locally and it worked great. I don't love being in charge of DevOps. I do it, but I don't love it. And so I go towards things like Laravel Vapor, which is a serverless platform. So I go towards things like that. But obviously, since this is you know entirely JavaScript, I can't use Vapor because Vapor is tuned for Laravel projects. So what I use here is I use Vercel, which is another serverless platform that is probably a thousand times bigger than Vapor. Everyone's heard of Vercel at this point. And so I use Vercel for the rendering API and I use Lambda or I use uh, Laravel Vapor, which is Lambda. I use Laravel Vapor for all the application, dashboard, doc site, everything like that. I was going to say, so you didn't want to use Lambda yourself, as in you could have built your own functions in Lambda and dealt with. I could have done that myself, but again, so I would have to figure out a lot of the plumbing myself. Like I'd have to figure out, like you mentioned, the the API gateway. And then I have to figure out the deployment story because just vanilla Lambda doesn't have a very good deployment story. Now I've written a PHP package to manage some Lambda stuff, but I would have to pipe it all the way through to a domain name. And at that point I'm in AWS console world and I can do it, but it's a big fear. Like when you're running an API, it's a big fear of mine that I fat finger something in an API, API gateway console, hit save, and it goes down. And everybody's like, I can't render my code blocks. And that that's just a big, I don't want to stay up at night thinking, did I configure a gateway right? And so I just used Vercel for this one. Yeah, see, it's interesting. When I was imagining how you did it, because I knew your sort of Laravel background, I thought you'd have used Laravel and then called down you to a, like a binary that you had as part of the... Um... So I tried that. Yes. <laughs> so I tried that. Okay, so this is my whole journey with Torchlight. I tried that. So I started on I started on Vapor and had everything on Vapor. And I would basically shell out to Node to run the highlighting. But the boot up time was just prohibitively expensive. And when I say that, I mean like 100 to 200 milliseconds. But then the other thing that was a real issue is not only was the like the node boot up time expensive, but there are certain 
Like I have to get an instance of the highlighter and getting an instance of the highlighter in the code that itself takes a hundred milliseconds because it's got to load up the language files and it's got to parse all the JSON to get ready to highlight. And so every time that I was shelling out to Node, it was booting Node for 100 to 200 milliseconds and it was getting a new instance of the highlighter for 100 to 150 milliseconds. So we're talking like 300 milliseconds before I start even doing anything. And at that point, an API for code highlighting is just too slow. And so on Vercel, there's no shelling out to Node, obviously, because it it just runs serverless platform. But then I can also do this trick. It's not a trick, but it is a technique where I get an instance of the highlighter outside of the actual handler that handles the request. And so the highlighter stays as a as a local variable. So I can just reuse that highlighter over and over and over again. So anytime it cold boots, it creates a new highlighter and then every request use that same highlighter over and over. So we're down to like 30 milliseconds. Do you ever have issues after deployment then with just like cold boots with that or is it? So that is part of, yes. Yeah, so after deployment, a cold boot is where the container isn't available with your new code and so they have to boot it up. And so one of the things that I do on deployment in my GitHub actions is, so my GitHub action will, when I deploy, it'll run the tests locally. It'll push to Vercel and run the tests on staging. So it hits that endpoint that Vercel gives you before it pushes it live. And then something that I do after it's live is I just hit it once or twice. So I basically am, I'm warming the container myself as a part of the deployment process. Now, Vapor gives you nice like pre-warming stuff. Vercel doesn't. And so I just kind of hit it once or twice before I finish my GitHub action. So in theory, I'm hitting the cold boot and nobody else is. Yeah, it reminded me when I first played with Lambda or whatever, we'd have a cron script that would go through and continually <laughs> continually keep things warm. I guess until you scale, then there's a not, you know, then you hit cold boot issues again. But interesting. So you've you got that completely serverless. So as in Completely serverless, yep. And so the Vercel API talks to the Vapor application to figure out authentication, authorization, all of that kind of stuff. So they they talk to each other that way. And yeah, I don't have to worry. For example, if I lose my entire database and the Vapor app stops responding, then the Vercel API is just going to let everybody through. Like it's not going to fail. It's just going to say, great, here are some highlights for free. Because my whole thing is I don't want to dork up anybody's website. Cool. So if anyone wants free, they just need to denial service attack you. Take down the other one and you'll get highlighting for free. (laughs) Yeah, nice. Have you had any worries about the pricing with the serverless function with Fasoli? So I did because what I'm offering is code highlighting, which in the rest of the world is entirely free. <laughs> and so, in fact, it's free even for for Torchlight. It's free if it's open source or nonprofit or anything like that. And so I'm offering a lot of free service. The thing that helps me is I wrote all of the clients. So I wrote the Laravel client. I wrote the, the Jigsaw one. I wrote all of these clients. And all of the clients make heavy, heavy, heavy use of caching. And so every client 
inspects the code blocks before they send them off to me. And if they have already requested it in the past, I think, seven days, it'll be cached and they don't send it off to me. Even something like Laravel News, which uses it, Laravel News only sends, I don't know, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 requests a month. And at that level, you know, when we're talking 50 milliseconds each, it's just basically free. So I pay Vercel $20 a month and that's it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So make sure no one runs a, a complete every time the page renders, <laughs> does your request. I mean, you wouldn't want to do that anyway. Yeah, our incentives aren't aligned because you as the developer wouldn't want that experience. You wouldn't want that penalty every time, right? And so people are are incentivized to make sure that they don't do that. So it works out for both of us. Yeah, it makes sense. I saw a horror story online where someone had recently built a, a blog system from Notion and they were using the... Two horror stories, two different companies got hit. Oh, really? I didn't hear about the second one. It's just... With the cost of running functions on these platforms. so Yeah, I know. I guess in the future, if you're ever concerned with that, you could go and optimize with, I guess, either Lambda or going somewhere else. As in, I think both of these blogging things that sit on top of Notion did go back and adjust kind of their infrastructure. And now they're back into fair use on Vercel. So they're not getting hit with $2,000 bills every month. I can't remember the person's name, but he is he is scheduled to come on this podcast. Oh, is he? It's no, it's Noah Braggs. I didn't know if. Oh no, not Noah Braggs. It's the other. It's the other guy. So I was interested. I might interview, try and get Noah on at some okay. point. Okay. But... Yeah. <laughs> so he's got Potion So, and the other one is, I think, I forget what the other one is called, but he got hit with the same thing, and I saw them talking about it on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So anyway, I thought they'd be good podcast guests <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Have you had any? Um, you I presume because of the age of product, you haven't had any like horror stories with like infinite loops of scheduling and stuff. I mean, no, fortunately, no, thank goodness. <laughs> no, fortunately, this is all very basic, it's a very straightforward logic process. I receive the request and highlight it and send it back. So, no, I haven't hit any infinite loops that cost me thousands of dollars yet. Yeah, and that's the kind of thing that terrifies me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You and me both. Yeah. I mean at the moment we're still on um we're still on physical servers or, you know, virtual machines. We haven't quite taken the leap into serverless hosting. Do you have a desire to move that way? No, we have got some constraints that make that a little difficult. So we do like a lot of SSH connections and sometimes they are slow, like as in connecting to someone's server could take, I mean, normally it doesn't take that long, but uh, sometimes they take five to like 15 seconds to establish a connection. So leaving a Lambda just sit there (laughs) ticking over. Yeah, and then once you get in there, you're doing a lot of work. So I would imagine serverless doesn't make sense for y'all. Once we've connected, we set things in motion and we leave and um, that, that script kind of talks home to us but you know every 15 minutes we like connect to the servers to make sure the backups haven't died uh, or if they stop like calling home we go and do a check see what processes are running or not and uh yeah sometimes those connections are really really slow and <laughs> like hitting timeouts and stuff so for that reason no and i kind of like the monolith structure <laughs> of not having like six different hosting types so yeah no i get uh, that that's what i love about vapor is i don't have to change anything i just push my laravel app to vapor and it 
is somehow serverless and I just get to like not think about it. So I guess the last thing I was going to ask around is how do you deal with backups? But I don't think that makes sense in your case because you're not really. Yeah. So on, on the Vercel side, I don't because there's no data on the app side. So on the vapor app side, I have for all of my Laravel stuff, I have basically just used Spotsy's backup thing. And so what I do is I run the command and it ships the database backup to S3. And for this one, I can get away with doing it on serverless because the database is so small. But on like, for example, the app I build at work, the database is like 300 gig, 200 gig, something like that. And so I couldn't get away doing that on serverless because that would, you know, it would take too long. So for all of my Laravel stuff, it's all Spotsy's backup thing. Okay. That's one of our biggest competitors in a way. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> trying, to, trying to get people off that into, you know, the world of managed solutions. So, I will admit it is definitely the entry level, like, ah, I need a backup. I'm going to pull in this backup package. And that is... It is a very good solution. And ironically, it's what we used uh, the first <laughs> two years of Snapchatter um, <laughs> before we had support for MySQL backups ourselves. We used that. But yeah, now we do it from like a bash level, as in um, we come in at the on the server and do the backup. Or in the case of like, sometimes as you say, clients don't have servers, like you you don't have a, a server to physically connect to to do the backup. Uh, so we all spin up like a, um, a Fargate container and do the backup from there. So that's kind of serverless, but also, I don't know, it draws the line between the two really. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've had to do a lot of mucking around with the package because at work we have several virtual columns in MySQL. And I have before just used the package to dump everything out and then tested a restore and it all broke because you can't insert data into a virtual column because it's a virtual column. And so I've had to do a bunch of mucking around with like I dump it all out and then I have to change the type of the column so that it's not virtual, it's stored. And then when I restore it, I change it back to virtual so that it doesn't fail. So yeah, I could probably, it is kind of a nightmare. <laughs> we get quite a few customers have issues with um, views, like they've they've changed something and then views break. So right, I think this is probably a good place to wrap up. Is there anywhere people can go to find out more? Where, where do you recommend they go? Yeah, uh, I would say Twitter. I'm on Twitter all day, every day. You can find me at Aaron D. Francis, A-A-R-O-N D. Francis. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Cool. Thank you very much for coming on too. Cheers. See you. Bye then. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Pushing to Production podcast from Snapshooter.com. Snapshooter is a backup service for all of your online servers, databases, and applications. From the whole server snapshots at providers like DigitalOcean, AWS, and Vultra, as well as direct backups from any provider to your given storage of choice, S3, Backblaze, Google Drive, the list goes on. Check us out today. We have a limited free plan, or all plans come with a 14-day free trial with no card required. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week. Mm-hmm.